Hey everyone, I just want to take a minute to tell you about my Amazon number one best-selling book, Culture of Excellence. How do culture and leadership impact the performance of a team? For the past 30 years, one organization in baseball has stood taller than all of the rest, the New York Yankees. In Culture of Excellence, Colin Sumelia, that's me, takes us inside baseball's most successful franchise to uncover compelling and useful lessons in leadership. Culture of Excellence is transformative in its premise. It shares strategies you will want to apply and knowledge you can acquire to effectively improve your team and motivate your people. With three foundational pillars, you can become a more effective leader and build a culture of excellence through stories from the Yankees. And you can purchase your copy of Culture of Excellence from any online retailer. There are hard copy, ebook, and audiobook versions available. You can also purchase a hard copy of the book directly from me, and I will personalize it for you and send you swag items like a bookmark and a sticker. Head over to www.talent409.com backslash culture dash of dash excellence to view all of your options and learn how you can discover your talent altitude through my book, Culture of Excellence. Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Colin Cernelia. Thank you for joining us today, and please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team with their leadership and culture development. Wherever you are in the world, and whether it's the seven pillars of dynamic leadership, culture pyramid building, or anything else, let our team of experts help you discover your talent altitude. This podcast is available on Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can help the show grow by taking a minute and leaving a rating and review on your podcast listening platform, or by sharing this episode with a friend and on social media. And welcome on into episode 137 of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Our guest today is Alex Francisco. Alex is a writer for Nessin. I found out from her that's actually how you say it. I always thought it was N-E-S-N, so I'm thankful that she was able to culture me there a little bit. Alex is also the co-host of the Girl at Game podcast. We talk about Alex's career journey a lot in this episode because I think it's a really good representation of someone who has an incredible work ethic and someone who has bet on herself over and over again and had the confidence to be able to pursue the things that she wants in order to be successful and happy in a working career. Alex's story is great. Her expertise is going to help you get to that next level if you are interested in a career in sports. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right into my talk with Alex Francisco. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Alex Francisco. Alex, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you, and uh, you have a unique background from most of the guests that I have on this show. Most of them are coaches and in athletics, and uh, you have uh, reached a, a different side of sports and athletics. But before we get to all that, I do want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself and give some background. So please tell us, who are you? 
Yeah. So um, as you said, my name is Alex Francisco. Um, I am a writer at New England Sports Network. So we cover every single Boston sport, as well as a lot of English Premier League soccer, Champions League, MMA, uh, you name it. I've probably covered it. The only thing I have not covered in person is racing, auto racing. But um, I've done it a lot during the pandemic from home. So I think that was like my last frontier to check off that box of auto racing. But (laughs) I've literally done it all. Um, Before I was at Nesson, I was covering high school sports. Um, Well, I was at Mass Live where I started covering high school sports and kind of worked my way up there. So uh, that was how I broke into this industry of sports media by way of UMass, where I studied sports journalism. And um, I mean, Massachusetts born and bred for me. I'm from a very small town in Western Massachusetts called Ludlow. And um, actually my hometown had like a really pivotal and I don't know, it's where I definitely got the basis and this love of sports instilled in me. Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually, that was where I was going to go next. Like, where did that affinity come from? Like, did you, uh, obviously it seems like you had a, a nice community and, and that's where some of it grew. Did you grow up playing sports? Was that something that y- you partaked in as, as well as, you know, obviously grew this, this passion for? Yeah. So Ludlow is a very funny town because it's pretty big in landmass, but it's not huge population wise. Um, as most people's perception of Western Mass is like farmland and (laughs) it's just like the sticks out there, but um, it's not quite like that. It's like a normal suburban town outside of spring or Massachusetts's third largest city Springfield. So, um, but what's funny about Ludlow is that when I tell people I'm from Ludlow and they're familiar with the town at all, I get asked one of two questions and the first one is usually, did you play soccer? And the second one is usually, are you Portuguese? And in my case, the answer is yes to both. So okay. <laughs> Ludlow, for whatever reason, um, I can get into the boring history with it of it with you. But long story short, a ton of first, second generation Portuguese people live in Ludlow. Um, okay. Going back to immigration from like the 20s so a lot of people came in didn't know the language and soccer is universal language right so sure um some very smart coaches back in Ludlow decided okay we got to get these kids going to college get them through high school they're all dropping out at like 16 to go work construction and very like it was a very typical pattern so this one legendary coach, I'll name drop him, he's passed away since, his name is Jack Curdy, uh, just started recruiting these kids to play soccer. Okay. And from there, it just became an like an absolute powerhouse. Um, they have more state Division I state championships than any other school in Massachusetts for any sport, um, particularly this is in soccer, obviously. And just... My dad won state championships at Ludlow. All my cousins did. I grew up to play at Ludlow. And when I was in high school, the boys made the state championship every single year. It was like a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. So 
it's funny because you were just as likely to walk down the street and see kids running around in Messi or Ronaldo jerseys as you were as kids wearing Tom Brady jerseys, right? And how wild is that in Massachusetts and the United States? So that culture was so fun because it was like on, on a very miniature scale, it was like a Friday Night Lights type deal, but with soccer. Sure. So every fall, games were packed with people from the community. Everyone knew someone on the team. Even if they didn't, they wanted to go pr- support because they at one point were part of that. And it's just infectious. It's absolutely infectious. So some of my fondest memories were hopping in the bus and the fan bus or buses to my own playoff games with teammates and just having the whole community there to support you. And I fell in love with sports then and there at a very, very early age. Um, I also played basketball and track, but soccer definitely was my passion. And even just watching it, it was the, my first love. Absolutely. So eventually I become a senior in high school and I was very fortunate when I was a freshman to have this super cool girl that was a senior that I looked up to a ton. Uh, we did student council together and her name's Angelique Fisk. And I saw her doing a journalism class at the high school and writing for the local paper. And she was like out writing about the sports and soccer teams. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. I can't take journalism now because I'm a freshman, but I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. I like to write. I like to read. I'm going to keep that on my radar. Um, Angelique eventually went on to go to Quinnipiac University and now works for, she's the lifestyle editor of the New England Patriots where she's been about four years. So she's been so cool to me, taking me around, giving me tours. We keep in touch to this day. We're really close and especially working in the same industry now, we always cross paths and it's so fun to just be like, look at this, two little Ludlow girls just out (laughs) here. But uh, I took a journalism class my senior year I very quickly was made the sports editor and I was kind of off from there. I had already applied to some of my colleges to do pursue a pre-med track because I don't know, as a kid, you're kind of like making that pivotal life decision at 18, right? And right, right. you're like, <laughs> go get a job that's high paying so you can pay off your loans. You can make your grandma happy to she'll call you a doctor or a lawyer and it'll be fine. And then you'll retire and you'll be able to travel and stuff. Right. I hated science. I didn't know what the heck I was doing (laughs) pursuing (laughs) pre-med. And I loved this journalism class. Like I went home, I would put in extra work to make the paper cool. And um, I was reading a lot of Barstool sports back then too. And just like their super witty, funny takes on things I was adopting in my own columns. And one day I kind of just had like a mental breakdown at the end of the day, like with, with my journalism teacher and he called in another English teacher I was pretty close to and was like, we need to talk some sense into this girl. <laughs> and I was just like, one day I just remember being like, I, I, don't know if I want to be a pediatrician. Like, I wish I could just do this forever. And I'll never forget Mr. Kanjemi, my journalism teacher, and Mrs. Lowe, an English teacher I was close to, they're like, you can. Like, you literally can. Um, so having then that belief in me that I could make a career out of sports writing was crucial. And at the same time, 
my friend Angelique was graduating from Quinnipiac. She was a senior there at that point or a junior covering their hockey team on their hockey East run. And they made, I think the national championship that year against Yale. So I was like, okay, yeah, like I can do it. And I have this girl to look up to, and this is how she's doing it. So like, I definitely can forge a path here. So yeah, when to UMass Lowell, I was already a science major and had to kind of pivot last minute to English and, because journalism was only a concentration of their English department. But okay. I started a club with a professor and a few friends called the Sports Careers Club. And in that club one day, we took a field trip to UMass Amherst. So I left Western Mass. I thought I needed to get out and figured being closer to Boston at UMass Lowell, it still wasn't crazy expensive, like your Boston University or your Northeastern, but I could still be close enough to Boston and hopefully find an internship like down the road one day. So, Mm -hmm. but I went to this trip to hear the Farinow brothers of ESPN speak at UMass Amherst. They wrote the book League of Denial, which is what the movie Concussion is based off of and really just took the concussion epidemic in the NFL and put it at the forefront. It was an incredible investigative piece of work. So I'm listening to these guys speak and kind of realizing that uh, it was set up by a professor at UMass who happens to be a senior editor at ESPN. So, and this is enterprise writing. So like Wright Thompson, one of my favorite sports writers of all time, directly reported to this woman. She was his editor. Um, And they just had these incredible guests. And I got into speaking to this woman, Jenna Janovey, and realized that there's a whole sports journalism concentration of their journalism major. And there's broadcasting classes and film classes and editing. And I kind of realized like, okay, this is the place I need to be. So I had a great social life at Lowell. I had so much fun, but I had to make the sacrifice to transfer. And I did. And it was tough socially. But I mean, in the end of the, it was exactly what I needed to do. Because, I mean, I got to learn from that woman, Jenna Janovey. She would bring in guest speakers like TJ Quinn and Jamel Hill and Kate Fagan and all these people I was like watching on ESPN every night, right? So you have to pick their brain. You have to pick her brain. And then the, the head of the concentration was a guy named Steve Fox, who was the sports editor of the Washington Post for years and helped them make their transition from print to digital. So um, ultimately, it was the right move. I got an internship at Nesson in, right before my senior year. It went great. I got to learn a lot about the production side um, with the Red Sox, live TV broadcasting. And it was awesome. They offered me a job after. Um, I unfortunately didn't take it because I couldn't really afford to move out to Boston on the production assistant salary. Um, Pretty expensive city to live in if you're not familiar. But I kind of just was like, you know what? I got myself this far. I have that internship at Nesson on my resume. I have these connections. I'll figure it out. At this point, I was also working like 30 hours a week bartending and waitressing just to pay my loans. So I kind of had gone so long working more than one job all through college. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take one last summer 
to just like be a degenerate waitress and go travel <laughs> and have fun. And August 1st, I'm going to hit the ground running and I'm going to find a job. And I went, I remember going to the Cape the last week of July and then coming home and that Monday being like, okay, it's August 1st. I have to find a job. Poured myself some coffee and started just like reading the news and stuff to get myself ready for the day. And my local hometown paper, the, it was the Springfield Republican growing up. And then the online presence was called Mass Live, which has grown into being the second biggest news outlet in New England, if I'm not mistaken right now, uh, right behind the Boston Globe. So pretty big paper happened to be right in my backyard. And I logged on and saw that they were looking for freelance football writers for high school football. So I was like, that's perfect. It's not full-time job, but like, God forbid, I can't find anything else. I can freelance and I can get my writing out there. Right. So I sent in a resume that morning, the morning they posted the job listing and uh, sent out some other applications, tidied up my LinkedIn and my personal website. And I was like, okay, I need a break. I'm going to go to the gym. Like, this is stressful. (laughs) And I got to the gym parking lot and I had a call from a Springfield number I didn't recognize. And I answered the phone and it was a woman named Meredith Perry, who eventually would be my boss. And she was the sports editor, the high school sports editor at Mass Live. And she called me and she said, hey, we got your application for the freelancing position, but you are way too qualified to just be a freelancer. Your resume is incredible. All the extracurriculars you've done at UMass and your internship at Nesson are really impressive. Um, I can't offer you a full-time job, but we have a post-grad internship available and it's paid and you get expenses and we're going to give you a MacBook if you want it. So I was like, dope. That's cooler than being a freelance football writer because it wasn't just covering football. Right. And taking that job was literally the best thing I could have ever done to set my career off because you learned so much covering high school sports, if that's your start. Like you're covering every sport, swimming to football to soccer. You're taking your own stats. You're in the trenches. It's not like covering professional sports where you can just go into the locker room and there's a big scrum of people and you can just hold out your microphone and kind of piggyback off what more senior reporters are asking, right? Like you have to find your own stories. So it's just the most incredible training. Um, I got to cover the Hoopa Classic every year and cover some of the best high school basketball prospects in the country. I covered Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, uh, Cam Reddish, you name it, ball, ball. Like it was incredible. Like I watching the draft last night and I'm just like, yep. I remember covering precious. I remember Anthony Edwards next year. Like I've covered Cade Cunningham extensively. So that was just so much fun. And it was covering that event that I think I kind of proved myself as an intern because RJ Barrett was there. And this was my first time covering Kupal and our Celtics writer, Tom Westerholm, this was like his prized event. He loved it every year. Like he took time from the Celtics coverage to come cover this Hoopal event. And uh, he sent me downstairs to the tunnel to get like a quick quote grab on RJ Barrett. He had just committed to Duke. And he was like, yeah, just see if you can get him to say anything about Duke. And that'll do like crazy page views and like, (laughs) it'll be perfect. And 
just a quick grab. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can handle that. Cool. So waiting for RJ, there's a, a bunch of reporters down there. You have like the House of Highlights guys and ESPN, you name it. And it's, I just remember being like, wow, this kid is younger than me. And like, look at all this media hype he's getting. There's so many people here. But off to the side was this tall man that looked just like RJ. And he was kind of just standing off to the side and watching. But I had done a lot of research going into this about the prospects and knew a lot about RJ's dad being, um, I think, the general manager. It's, I'm blanking on it now, but I'm pretty sure he's the general manager of Canada basketball. Uh, he played professionally himself. Steve Nash is RJ's godfather, if I'm not mistaken. So I knew all this stuff oh, wow. coming in. And I'm looking at this man and I'm like, that's definitely RJ's dad. There's no way it's not. He wouldn't be standing there and he looks exactly like him. So I kind of waited for like all the, the huddle to die down and RJ went back into the locker room and I was like, let me see if he'll talk to me. Like what, why the hell not? Right. Like at, at that point, I'm like a little girl right out of college. Like I feel like not a lot of people, people are going to feel bad to say no to me. So I went up to him and it was RJ's dad and we talked for quite a bit. And instead of just getting like a quick quote grab about RJ going to Duke, I had a whole short feature story on him so wow. I like walk back upstairs and sit my stuff down to start writing and Tom looks at me and is like oh so you got anything good and I was like yeah I got some dope uh, some good Duke quotes from him but I also talked to his dad and I think that's like the angle I'm gonna go and I just remember Tom's face looking at me like you got his dad and I was like <laughs> yeah he was like right there so I snagged him and I kind of waited I like selfishly did it when no one else was around so we're the only ones that'll have it and I just remember like his face lit up and like I could just see how proud he was of me and he's just like excuse my language good shit let's go like so I mean that did numbers for me like I did wonders for me I wrote that up it ended up being a pretty good little feature that got aggregated quite a bit by the Duke community and uh it Tom just went to our boss boss, our sports editor of the whole department. So pro sports and everything and just hyped me up. And I think that's what really took me to another level at Mass Live. I very quickly got promoted part-time. A month later, a full-time job opened up. So I think I got the quickest promotion ever at Mass Live. <laughs> Jumped right up within a month. And from there, I still cover a lot of high school sports, but also was getting pro reps. Um, it helped that the athletic came into town and poached our Red Sox writer and one of our Celtics writers. And then there was also some turnover on the Patriots beat. So I got so many reps with alongside Tom covering the Celtics, our other writers covering the Red Sox and the Patriots. So it, it was just incredible. And then during that year too, right around my promotion, I also got to cover the Ludlow Boys soccer team winning their 18th Division I state title. So my career like really just came full circle. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, covering the Red Sox one day, I ran into um, someone I used to work with at Nesson, Tom Karen, and we hadn't seen each other in a while and just got into talking. And he was like, where have you been? Told him what I've been up to that I've been writing and he was just like super impressed that I've been writing this whole time and like had already worked my way up to be covering pro sports. And he was like, you know, we talk about you all the time. We'd love to have you back. Let me know if you ever need anything. 
And I was like, yeah, cool. That's great. And I was happy that he remembered me. And cause he's like, he's like the voice of the Red Sox. Like if you sure. live in Boston, you know, and you're a Red Sox fan, you know, Tom Karen. And I went home and kind of just like, didn't really think anything of it. But within a month, I just got a random LinkedIn request from an HR lady at Nesson that they want to bring me back. They have this job I, they want me to interview for. And I did. And the rest was history. I started working at Nesson in February of last this year. Of course, the pandemic hit a month later, but it's all good. Just working from home and living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> that Sorry, is, that was long-winded. <laughs> No, it's it's an awesome origin story and really brings us to uh, have the opportunity to unpack quite a unpack, excuse me, quite a bit here. Um, so I'd like to start. Most of this we're going to focus on your sports writing, but before we jump to that, I do want to go back to your childhood in that community and everything. I, I think it's really cool, really unique. I didn't grow up in a community like that. I don't know that there's. Uh, so many of those left in today's modern America. It's not quite like it was, you know, hundreds of years ago or so. Uh, so I think it's a really unique story. What I'm curious about just knowing, not just like the soccer program history and the closeness of the, the community and uh, the identity from, from your nationality and everything. Did you feel a lot of pressure when you were growing up to succeed in whether it was in soccer or like you said, you were going for pre-med before you decided to go to journalism? And if so, how did you handle that? Because it's not easy to do at any age, much less when you're 14, 15, 16, trying to figure out, you know, you had mentioned trying to make that major life decision at 18 to set yourself up for, for the rest of your life. So I'm just curious, you know, was there pressure associated with being in a, in a community like that where, you know, from the outside in, it probably seems like a very close knit and, and I'm sure it is in, in a great community. You said you have some very fond memories, but what's the pressure associated with that? Sure. Um, I think most of the pressure came from me internally. Um, okay. I was the oldest of four kids. So I was always like a pretty good student. And my, my parents really just, they had a lot more to deal with other than me. My parents were divorced. So they kind of just let me run around and do what I wanted. I was a good kid. I was good in school. And they really didn't have to worry about me, which afforded me kind of the ability to do whatever the hell I wanted. Um, within the community, there's competition. I mean, like, especially playing soccer, it kind of, I've never really thought about this, but maybe it's why I, I'm such a hard worker because like, in the case of the soccer team, like you'll have 90 kids going out for varsity, which is absurd. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> like if you make the varsity soccer team, like making it as a freshman, it doesn't happen. It's unheard of. If you make it as a sophomore, it's impressive. Like, and there's only a handful of those. So like, I think there is pressure, a little bit of pressure there, but I don't think I ever really noticed it in the moment. It was more me internally being like, we weren't like poor house by any means. Like, I had everything I needed, but, um, I just, I don't know. I always knew like I wanted to do like really big things with my life. And I was really confident in myself in that aspect in everything I did. Um, I usually excelled at. So 
just like the idea of settling for something scared me and like working a job that I hated every day freaked me out too. And I didn't want that to be me. So I think if there was pressure, it was more me internally pressuring myself to kind of do cool things. Right. Um, Yeah. It helps too when like pursuing journalism when like you break up with a or a boyfriend breaks up with you and you hear that he's talking crap because you're going to go study journalism and like (laughs) that that obviously motivates you more too and I'm like whatever at least I won't be doing something boring that I hate and that just (laughs) gives you all the motivation you need to excel right so right um the pressure was definitely internal I would say Okay. So you got a little bit of that Michael Jordan killer instinct in you. Oh, somebody's yeah. Absolutely. I'm yeah. a perfectionist to a T with my work, with most things I do. Yeah. Well, so it, it seems, and it also seems like that the pressure is something that maybe you invite into your life a little bit, like you, you thrive off of it a little bit. And, and obviously there's a line to everything. Like you don't want too much pressure, just like you don't want too much adversity, but it seems like it's something that you invite into your life. And it's because you, as you mentioned, you have this confidence and this awareness about you of where your strengths lie and how far you can push things. How were you able to, to cultivate that? Like, did that come from one of your parents? Did that come, I mean, you're the oldest, so you're, you're like me where I was the oldest of all my siblings as well. So maybe not any of our siblings teaching us any of that. Maybe it was someone else that you looked up to. I think it goes back, I guess, to my community. I had the most incredible teachers growing up, like going back to elementary school. Like I remember having a fifth grade teacher just like talking about how like exceptional my work was, like even like small things down to my handwriting. Like Alex, you have such beautiful handwriting and like stuff like that just really motivated me, I would say. Um, Teachers have such a huge impact on our life. Coaches have such a huge impact on our life. And I was so fortunate to have, I really can't think of a single teacher I had growing up that I didn't like, or even didn't really like care for slightly. Like they were just all so incredible and so inspiring. And especially when I got to high school, when I had, I had this one teacher, my soccer coach was my teacher and we just got along so well And she was just like this cool, awesome woman that was like a total badass and didn't take shit from anyone. And I was like, she's so awesome. I love this woman. Even though like after school, she was running me into the ground at practice, right? But (laughs) there was like another teacher, Jess Elmo, who like loved pro sports and she loved basketball. And her and I would just talk hoops together during class all the time. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like usually I do this with my guy teachers, but like she knows so much and like you, you have those people. And like I said, like growing up with a girl like Angelique Fisk a few years ahead of me, like just all these positive role role models really show you that there is a path. This is how you can do it. There's a space for you here. So I, I think it goes back to just that community. I was so fortunate. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to help you get fit. Christine here from Sweat With Sods. Being at home has a lot of people in a rut with their workouts, but you don't have to be. My Hit at Home workouts require no equipment and can be done in 30 minutes or less. And if Hit isn't for you, 
I also design custom programs that can be done virtually, in person, or a combination of both. I put my years of experience teaching classes and personal training into all of my programs. I've worked with lots of people and helped them achieve very different goals. So what are you waiting for? Head to sweatwithstats.com today. And don't forget that as a listener to this podcast, you can get a discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout. Can't wait to hear from you. And now, back to the show. Uh, it's funny, but I, I'm not surprised that that's your answer for that because I have in my notes here from what we talked about earlier when when you were telling your story of, of how you got into this profession and how influential those the journalism teacher and that English teacher were to ultimately making that switch from different majors and then transferring colleges and everything. So it's really cool to me that the impact that adults had on you really was not just felt, but um, empowered you to continue to build that confidence and continue to push toward the the things that you wanted to do versus, you know, maybe what societal pressures say that you should be doing, like be a doctor and make a lot of yeah. money and pay off your, your loans and everything. And I, I don't think we, we always get that from adults. And um, some of it is because they just simply don't no, they haven't been trained right, like in, in they're in a leadership position and they don't know better. And some of it is because they just simply don't care. And that's really sad. But yeah. uh, it, it seems like you've had a, a really good experience with like those influential figures, whether they're teachers, coaches, et cetera. And that's something that is a really positive takeaway from this conversation. Right. And I mean, how many like stories do you hear of kids saying, this is what I want? Like Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, I always think comes to my head because he was like, oh, I want to make it to the NBA one day, blah, blah, blah. And he had a teacher in middle school, if I'm not mistaken, tell him, you're going to end up in jail. Like, you're not making it to the NBA. Like, something so horrible. And, right. I mean, imagine if Jalen didn't have the mentality he did and was just like, okay. And even on smaller scales, like, it doesn't even need to be that harsh. Sure. Of just people telling kids, like, think more realistically. Like... <laughs> why don't you do something a little safer? Like, yeah. Like I remember sitting down getting my taxes done with my mom's accountant and being in college. And he asked me what I was studying and I told him journalism. And he said, are there going to be any more newspapers by the time you graduate around? <laughs> and I don't think he really meant it as a dig, but it just took every single thing inside of me to not look back at him and say, I don't know, but Hey, at least I won't be an effing accountant, right? So it's just like, get out of here with that. Who are you to tell? You don't, I don't know. I, I bet on myself my whole life. I have admittedly, like, it's a tough industry to get into. The odds were against me. Sure. Not only is it a hard industry to get into, I'm literally in the most competitive market in the world in Boston. But I know my work ethic and I will out hustle and outwork everyone around me. And I've always known that about myself. I think it has to do with growing up, being one of four, fighting for everything I have, not having a lot of money growing up. And it just makes you scrappy, right? So, I mean, I've always been betting on myself and it's gotten me this far. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. And so much of that resonates with me. I'm thinking of a story my mom told me. She was one of six siblings growing up. She had five brothers. And uh, she was right in the middle of, of all of them. And just something as simple as like trying to get enough food at dinner time, uh, because my my grandparents, you know, didn't have a ton of money and, you know, had enough money uh, to 
you know, be safe and have a roof over their heads and, and everything. But it was like, if you wanted more food, you had to fight for it. And, and exactly. she was fighting, you know, five other boys at the, at the dinner table. So exactly. it's uh that, that really resonates with me. And, and I think, you know, the, the biggest reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is primarily to talk about sports media and and you've covered quite a bit. And yeah, I think if somebody takes a quick look at your resume or their LinkedIn profile or your LinkedIn profile, excuse me, and they see that you've worked your way up, you spent a little over two and a half years at, um, at mass live, uh, before you got into your current role and they, and they might just see that and be like, Oh, well, she got some lucky breaks. Like, you know, who, who is she to give advice and, and everything. But yeah, I think what you've unlocked already and what I want to even dive deeper into is, is that work ethic. And you talked about, you know, you applied for a freelance job and then got a paid internship as, as a result of that. Not everybody's going to apply for a freelance job because it's a freelance job. And they're like, Oh, I, I deserve more than this. And even um, so already right there, you're looked past too, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like people trying to get a job pro sports, the glamour, like, yeah. I feel like it could even be looked down upon, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know, you talk about having to cover the high school sports field. Um, there's, there's two aspects to, I think the things that you've done throughout your career and it's young. And I know that you have a lot ahead of you, but I think the, the biggest things that I want to ask you about were, especially when you're like covering high school, high school sports, but I think in general, this is somewhere that, I see lacks a little bit in the general media is like having a unique spin on a story and like finding your own stories uh, within maybe like the bigger, easy story to tell. Um, So I'm sure you kind of built that skill when you were in the trenches, like you said, doing those high school sports. And then you told that great story with RJ Barrett's dad. What else goes into for you, like identifying how you are going to develop a story? Like um, I'm, I'm imagining there's some type of process that, that you go through that you can walk us through here on the podcast. Is, is there something along those lines? It's funny because more often than not, I'm winging it. Uh, okay. I am a talker. I love small talk with strangers. I will talk to anyone about anything. And I mean, this is again, like you work all these jobs, like, like you say, like lucky breaks there. I don't believe in luck. Like I was bartending all through college and even beyond college to support myself and this writing internship, right? So sitting at a bar and learning how to talk to people, especially like older dudes at a, like I bartended <laughs> at a country club and a sports bar in Amherst. So um, learning how to talk to people like that. And I'd always been pretty good at it, but I'd really honed that skill. So um for whatever reason, people like to talk to me. And I mean, it's about asking good questions. And I'll be honest with you. Usually I don't have a story angle going into anything. Like I might have a few questions I want to ask, but I don't think you should go anything into anything with an angle or a story idea. Like just talk to people, see what happens and then put the pieces together. Because so many times you see people go in with like this perfectly sound story idea and they're going to ask X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then maybe they don't get the answer they had hoped for. And they weren't really paying attention to anything else that was being said or asked because they were so focused on their own story angle or trying to push an athlete or a coach to say this, to plug it into their story. And I don't know. that 
it's just you usually don't get as good of a story, right? So, I mean, my favorite writing to do is long form feature, getting to know the athlete or the coach as opposed to what they're like on the field. I, I love that stuff. It's what I grew up reading. It's what I got into this industry to write. So I wing almost everything. Like I remember being asked by people like, oh, what stories are you going to work on? And just being like, I don't know. I'm just going <laughs> to go float around and see what I get. And it, like after a while, people just got used to that and being like, okay, like that's scary, but we trust her because she always comes out with something, right? Sure. So, I mean, in the event of like covering a Patriots game, I think it's as simple as saying, okay, this is a media circus and nothing is of real value or interest is going to come out of Bill Belichick's locker room, right? Like it's the cliche, do your job, or this was best for the football team today and I'm just trying to help my team win. So snooze, boring. I go to the visitor's locker room, try to like talk about like the drama that happened in the game or like what's going on in there. So that's, I'll probably get most of my stories in there, but I mean, talking to people, like having real honest conversations with them, even if it's not about sports, like they love having a break from that in their small talk. So that's how you develop relationships. It's how you develop sources. And then that way when they have actually something that's of importance that you probably want to beat everyone else out for, maybe they'll come to you with that first, or maybe they'll take sure. more time with you to elaborate on a play or something they said in a press conference or whatever. So um, I think once you get past the fact that like, yeah, they're professional athletes, but, or they're these incredible coaches and kind of realize they're just people like you, not better or worse than you, you can get so much done. Yeah. Yeah. And I can really appreciate that answer because I'm someone uh, similar in some ways to your background. I bartended, served through college, uh, and then I I think six, seven years corporate HR recruiting experience yeah. where there's, we're there's doing no inter- training. Like, but, yeah. <laughs> like I don't, if I was ever in a place to hire, I don't know if I'd hire anyone that did not have experience in the service industry. Just as yeah. a precedent. It's, it's, it's so amazing how you, like you said, learn how to build actual relationships with people, whether yeah. they're your regulars that are coming in every single shift or they're new people who are there for the first time and you want to make them feel amazing and have them end up coming and back. Me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and everything like they're, they're so much of an education that you can get out of that. And you know, what I really like about everything that you said is the the fact that, you know, I know you said you're winging it, but at the same time, you are also going into a conversation with the intent to listen to the other person versus trying to push your own agenda. And I, I was listening to a podcast recently with Michelle Wee West, and she was talking about how when she was younger, she couldn't understand why the press would do the or write the type of things that they did about her because it wasn't really what she was talking about. And then she got a little bit older and, you know, understood like how it works. And it makes me think, you know, like it's easy, like you said, to go maybe up to a professional because there's a lot of background and information on them to maybe come with some type of story in your head. But if you go back to those, you know, high school stories, you don't know those people for the most part. Like when, when you interact with them for the first time, 
you are literally learning their name maybe for the first time, where they're from, how long they've been doing this, whether they're swimming, playing basketball, whatever sport it is. Like you have to dig and you have to listen in order to get enough information for a story. And so often, this is one of the reasons I love podcasting is because I get to do these long features and have conversations with you. I know who you are. I know what you do. But literally all I had in my notes prior to this conversation was your job title and where you went to school. I didn't have anything else in mind about where I wanted the conversation to go. And you've taken the conversation yourself in so many different directions. And I think we've been able to have a deeper conversation as a result of that. So, right, uh, so, so much of that is... Yeah, yeah. It's it's so much of that is just getting me jazzed up. And, and I wish more people would go about that because I'm sure you've been in interviews and I'm sure that you've seen interviews or heard interviews where you're just like, man, I wish that person would follow up with a question there. That's a great opportunity to ask more. It seems like they're just being too robotic with their Google answers and, and everything like that. And um, I don't know. Absolutely. I just think there's more room for these real engaging conversations, more creativity. I think we try to like box ourselves in. I'm not even a, a professional you know, person in the media. You know, I don't, I don't fancy myself as that or try to pretend that I am, but you know, I think that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to your work and in your background is because I've seen how you approach things and I want to see more of that is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I mean, I agree with you. Um, I don't know if it's like anyone's necessarily like I don't know if it's a kid's fault to go in with just like these story ideas because there's a lot of pressure too sure but I think that just in general not even just like covering sports and media like if people just listened to what other people had to say they'd be so much better off I mean I've had this conversation with a friend of mine before and it's like how many times do you meet someone and shake their hand and you exchange names And you're so focused on like making that first impression, sorry, making that first impression or like introducing you and like speaking normally that you don't (laughs) even hear their name and you don't remember their name two seconds later, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, it's about being present. It's about just being confident and just like, don't think, just do it. Just listen and retain and take things in and think critically and- I don't know. There's so much social anxiety nowadays that people, it's, it's a lot of pressure and it's hard. I'm fortunate to be a person that has always been good at talking to people. And I was able to further hone those skills based on the different jobs I was doing. So that's, like I said, that's why I said, I I don't know if I'd ever hire someone that wasn't a bartender because who's a better listener than a bartender. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, so true. And and again, I just love the work. I think that it goes into what you've done in the past, what you're doing now, what you're going to do in the future. I did want to ask you, we have a little bit of time left here. Uh, You are in addition to what you're doing and, and primarily being paid for, I I guess uh, you host the uh, girl at game podcast. And uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, what went into that venture? I know you're a co-host and, uh, you know, what, what goes into that? What's the purpose of the podcast? Where can people find that and listen to it? Another opportunity to, to learn more about Alex. Yeah. So, um, I always wanted to get into podcasting eventually. I mean, I've had my hand at behind the scenes production. Now I'm writing. Um, I want to eventually get into more on air stuff, but podcasting seems like the next avenue I wanted to try. 
and I had an idea in my own head for a podcast for myself, but just finding another co-host is like everything, right? Because chemistry is such a big deal. And I didn't want to carry a show by myself for my first time podcasting. But the beautiful world of Twitter, I got to know this girl that had a pretty big following on a Red Sox blog called Girl at the Game, Gabrielle Starr. And we just became friends on Twitter. We would interact with each other's stuff. Um, Really, really smart girl, really knowledgeable about the Red Sox. And then one day, like, we just ended up in each other's DMs and we're like, we both live in Boston. Want to go get coffee one day? And (laughs) we met up and we really hit it off and we really got along well. And she was like, listen, I want Girl at the Game. She had already built an incredible platform for That's I can't take any credit for that. That's her. All the Twitter followers, everything, that's her. I, I redid the branding for her and, like, the logos and stuff, but... She built that audience for herself and she wanted to do a podcast with it. She'd been asked all the time, when are you going to start a girl at the game podcast? And she had tried with a few different people and it just like didn't really work. Um, The the chemistry wasn't there or the preparation wasn't there from her co-hosts. And she just was really waiting out to find the right person to launch this with. And just that coffee date one day at lunch Uh, We were on Newberry Street in Boston, and we just really hit it off, and we could tell that, like, we could work together. And by the end of our conversation, I didn't go into it thinking anything but, oh, I'm going to meet hopefully a new friend in the industry here in Boston. Obviously, there's not a lot of women. And it ended up with her just being like, listen, I have this podcast idea, and, like, I follow you on Twitter. I see your writing. Like, I know you know your shit do you want to do this with me and be my co-host? And I was like, hell yeah, we could bring awesome guests to the table for interviews. And I could benefit too from her huge following that she has and I have. And it's been fun. We started it literally, we met right before the pandemic. So then we launched the podcast right at the beginning, which like, Great timing. Let's launch a sports <laughs> podcast when there's no sports, right? Yeah. yeah. So fortunately, we've landed some. Our first guest was Jessica Mendoza of ESPN. Ah, so cool. Staple of like just a total trailblazing pioneer. We've had on um, Trevor Bauer's agent, Rachel Luba, who now yeah. we're like friends with, and I text with her like, what? So it's yeah, just like. Rachel's awesome too. It's been such a fun ride and it's it's really fun to do and we're getting better at it every week and interviewing together and I mean sometimes we like we're it's a it's a growing process right we're still learning but sure. um I can it's fun to just see yourself getting better at something with someone else like in real time so it's been really fun um it's the girl at the game podcast you can find that on Spotify, Apple, really wherever you get your podcasts. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Girl at the Game. No spaces or anything, just pretty simple. And yeah, she she runs the blog and we have writers come in. Um, obviously, all my writing is done at Nesson.com. But uh, yeah, she's built quite the platform for herself. And I'm just happy to be along for the ride with her. It's been fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'll make sure in the show notes I add all of that information for the 
the podcast, where we can find your work, uh, where we can find uh, her work as well. So we'll get that all. And uh, the Twitter sports community, I think, is is awesome, and specifically the women's sports community. And I've had an opportunity now over the course of the past year and a half, I think, or so since I pivoted my podcast and our business model to um, to really be a platform for women and get connected with uh, so many great women like yourself and, um, you know, had smaller interactions with people like Rachel. I'm not texting with, with her or anything, but uh, it's uh, it's just a really cool community. I encourage people to, to get more involved. Women are fast rising. It's really cool for like my daughter. It's when she turns 18 is going to have, you know, so many more opportunities than, you know, anyone in prior generations. And, and I think, you know, you are obviously a key part of that. And, and I just want to thank you for uh, you know, kind of opening up the doors, showing the, the work ethic and just really providing a great voice for other young girls to look up to in this industry. Thank you. That's like really sweet because I mean, I know how crucial that is because I mean, I was so lucky. Like I go, it goes back to being in high school and having Angelique Fist to look up to this, this senior girl. And it's like, Would I be where I am if I didn't see her doing that and kind of caving out that path for me? Like we're all forever indebted to the Jackie McMullins and the Melissa Lutkeys of the world. Right. So, I mean, it's just like to be part of that and like to hope, I mean, like, look, we just saw the Marlins hire a female GM, like as long overdue as it was with how qualified she was. I mean, progress is progress right and now it it just opens the door for the rest of us so I just I honestly feel like a personal commitment and obligation to be part of that for sure yeah yeah that's awesome and uh, like you said the floodgates are going to open here uh, any 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 year now any minute now (laughs) maybe maybe when we return to some normalcy from this pandemic (laughs) (laughs) so uh, Alex before I let you go the show is called Dynamic Leaders and you have showcased today just how dynamic you are and and the way that you've gone about your life and the different things that you've done and I know you've uh, talked about quite a few people who have influenced you but is there anyone else that you want to give a quick shout out to either from a leadership perspective or just influential in general that uh, you can give a quick shout out to to end the show today? Yeah. Um, no one personally, I guess, in my own life, but I did, I was thinking about this given the nature of your podcast. And like, if I could have written an Adam Silver for president, I would have. <laughs> the commissioner of the NBA, I think he's just fantastic. He had big shoes to fill with David Stern. And I personally think he's excelled i mean with everything he's dealt with with the pandemic pause with um protests for black lives matter and the civil unrest there he is just i i really admire him to begin with but even more so this year with all he was able to accomplish during such a hard time just to bring basketball back right and keep people employed yeah, yeah, I love that shout out. And I think uh, I'll add on for the first time to to that shout out that uh, I really love what Adam does, not just for the NBA, but how he also is super supportive of Kathy and the WNBA and everything yes. that, that they're trying to accomplish and grow their game as well. And I think if, you know, Major League Baseball is definitely guilty of this and not, uh, you know, not that softball and baseball have been aligned like the WNBA and the NBA have been for so long now, but I think if baseball put more support 
sport into a sport like softball or for we saw you know the the men's and women's soccer programs getting uh, along better that the the progress would go faster and i think yeah. you see that clearly women's with the WNBA too. if the NHL yeah. looked to the NBA like more girls are playing hockey now in this country than ever before i mean i don't know what the landscape looks like for you down in pennsylvania but I mean, these poor women's leagues just like really can't get any financial support. And it's sad to see because the game is growing so much and the women's national team, like the women's U.S. national team for soccer, they're incredible. And it's so they're so much fun to watch and so many little girls look up to them. So I would like to see all sports, all leagues really model what the NBA is doing for the WNBA. I mean, it, this year was so fun watching the WNBA and then also seeing all the guys down in the bubble in Orlando, like rocking the orange hoodies yep. around and wearing like Sabrina, Sabrina Ionescu jerseys. And it's just, it's, it's fun to see. And little efforts like that, I think really are going to make the difference eventually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I, again, I just really appreciate your time today. We'll get everything in the show notes. Go check out Alex. Go follow her and her work and support her. And thank you again so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. This is great. <laughs>